are listening to the Twin Cities Apologetics Podcast, recorded from the studio of OAC Technology, who provides helpful IT support for businesses. This podcast equips followers of Jesus with apologetics resources to strengthen their faith and build them up as ambassadors for Christ. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Twin Cities Apologetics Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Lin. And we are a podcast which focuses on topics related to apologetics or a rational defense of the Christian faith. Uh, we also share content such as this podcast on Facebook and Instagram and have meetings in the Twin Cities every other Wednesday. So uh, plenty of information can be found on those social media platforms. So today I have a guest uh, remotely for the first time on this podcast. We're doing a little video chat. And my guest is John from JMD Apologetics. So hello, John. Hey, how are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's a little crazy of a morning and day, but uh, yeah, this would be great talking with you about something that is very relevant to the area of apologetics, and that is philosophy. So before we get to that, uh, JMD, can you describe your, your background a little bit in, in apologetics? Because you have your own apologetics ministry. GMD apologetics. So I'm sure there's a background behind uh, how you kind of uh, have this passion and starting the ministry as well. So can you describe some of that for us? Yeah, I would say my ministry would be Christian Truth through apologetics.com and my YouTube is connected to that, but I wouldn't necessarily consider that part of my ministry. I obviously do a lot of apologetics stuff on there since I'm called GMD apologetics, but my background in apologetics, we would have to go back to the year of 2014 is a uh, you know, freshman year, either freshman or sophomore year in high school, I started questioning Christianity a little bit. I wouldn't become an atheist. I would probably become an agnostic. And I was coming across people like Jacqueline Glenn, TJ Kurt, the amazing atheist, uh, Dusty mm -hmm. Smith, you know, Cult of Dusty, atheists like these who have horrible arguments. But uh, I had no clue how to deal with these arguments, especially when uh, asking people in my church their questions and so on. They had no clue how to answer these questions. So they also had no background in apologetics. So I came across, you know, this little word we call apologetics, you know, apologia in the Greek means to give a defense or something. Uh, it appears eight times in the, in the New Testament. But um, yeah, I, I came across that and I started watching people like Frank Turkey answers questions pretty well, along with uh, Dr. William Lane Craig, many other apologists. And basically, Around 2017, I started my YouTube channel, and I got influenced by them. And I uh, went to Cross Instructor Academy. I believe we went the same year, actually, uh, 2017. Mm -hmm. They were the other youngest um, member there. But, yeah, that was fun. I got to meet Frank Turk, Jay Warner Wallace. I did a podcast with Jay Warner Wallace in October. Um, so, basically, I, I started um, getting into apologetics when I – was struggling with my own faith and it really helped me come back to God and uh, has moved our relationship closer together, you could say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's an awesome background there and great to hear how this area of apologetics really helped you to uh, strengthen your faith and to continue down the track of, of following Christ. So that's uh, yeah, a great story that way. So can you tell us a little bit about your ministry? You mentioned the, the kind of different aspects, the YouTube channel and then Christian Truth through apologetics and what's all involved in that and, and your involvement in, in doing those things. 
Well, yeah, um, I started Christian Truth Projects after CIA. And basically, it's just a little website I run. I do blogs on there. I have my YouTube connected to that, and I have other pages on there as well. Oh, I have the Christian Truth Project podcast on there as well. That that page needs to be updated. But I, I basically, I, I don't have a particular schedule for what I put on there. I'll eventually put an article on there once in a while, and I'll just connect YouTube to that. So that that's basically my apologetics ministry. And on my YouTube, I answer philosophical stuff. I do live streams and video responses and answer apologetic questions. And currently, I am working on a commentary on Romans 9, uh, 6 through 24. So that'll be up on my website eventually. And that would be the brief synopsis of uh, my ministry slash website. Yeah, the great. And yeah, a lot of things for people to, to check out that way. And going forward as well with that commentary and, and response videos. Yeah, sounds like a lot of a lot of great stuff to check out. So, uh, um, so let's get into this area a little bit of, of philosophy. And this is something that maybe um, a lot of Christians out there in, in the church aren't very familiar with or uh, something that they haven't really gone much in depth with. Uh, or perhaps, as we'll probably talk about later, it's things that cause uh, a little bit of, of concern or maybe fear for some Christians. So I think it's good so that, that we can cover this topic. But uh, first, let's start with definitions. So, JMD, how would you define philosophy just in its, its basic core? What is it all about? Well, I would define philosophy as the love of wisdom. Then you would have to ask, well, how do you define wisdom? I would say wisdom is the proper knowledge for reasoning properly and for more morality, having knowledge of perfect virtue and doing the right thing in any given circumstance. And that's um, a brief synopsis of wisdom. There's a lot more into that. Of course, if Christians don't like wisdom, then they shouldn't read the Proverbs or First and Second Kings or, you know, with uh, Solomon and so on. But I, I'm pretty sure that would be God as giving wisdom and all, all wise. But yeah, that's how I would define philosophy. And then there are some four branches of it, typically speaking, logic, which would be the principles of how to investigate an argument, whether it's sound valid. We can get into arguments if you want. Metaphysics, which would be your underlying principles of how the universe would operate. I, I, I won't say physical principles, but a metaphysical principle would be being does not come from non-being, so nothing can't come, or something can't come from nothing. That would be a metaphysical principle. Then ontology would be the essence of something, the structure of something. Like God's ontology would be the maximally great possible being, being omnipotent, omniscient, you know, omnipresent, and so on. That would be the character of his being, his nature. And we have a human nature. I would view humans as, um, I won't say two parts, but a holistic relationship between body and soul. And so would have mine and so on. So that, that would be sort of ontology. Axiology would be the study of the good or morality itself. That would sort of cover ethics and so on. And those would be like many branches. There, there are more branches of philosophy, but those are the main four that typically philosophers go into and study. Yeah, those are some some helpful categories to consider with, with understanding philosophy more and what's all involved with it. And I, I like what you said too at the beginning of your definition of philosophy that it, a lot of it is about uh, wisdom and how we can just be more more wise in our life about about the knowledge about things that we know or just basically about the way that we go about life um, and the, the different aspects that, that involves kind of like you're saying proverbs and some of the wisdom it gives regarding one's life. So 
I think that really helps, um, like I mentioned, Christians who have that fear about philosophy, because there may be this uh, stereotype in mind where, you know, people who are into philosophy go to a school for philosophy, either a philosophy major or go for a PhD. And then there's all this complicated, deep stuff that you have to go through and sort out just to get to that point. It's like, no, that's not all encompassing of what philosophy is. Philosophy is a lot about this wisdom and how we can apply certain truths to our lives. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah. So, uh, so JMD, let's turn a little bit to the um, kind of relating this to to God and maybe uh, His existence. Some of those classical types of philosophical arguments for God's existence. So, um, to you, what is an example of of a philosophical concept or, or maybe argument that involves God and our ability to to know that that He's there? Yeah, um, actually, I could give an example for each branch of philosophy that I described. So, starting with logic. Um, some presuppositionalists would argue that God is the necessary preconditions for intelligibility and that the laws of logic, I'll go through those briefly, the law of non-contradiction, something cannot be true and false at the same time, um, and it's an indubitable principle, which means no argument can show it to be false, so it's not unfalsifiable, any attempt to falsify it presupposes it, so you, it's like Descartes' I, I think, therefore I am statement. The law of excluded middle, which would be any and any true false dichotomy it's either or there is no third option and can't be both so it would be sort of like law of non-contradiction then the law of identity would be that if something has the same properties of a and it's equivalent to a that it would be a itself i would define it a little bit like this something is what it it is not like we are humans we are not chairs or books or tables or anything like that so there the, these laws of logic would be conceptual and what the presupposition would argue is that these are grounded in God's nature, um, since he is a mind, and you would have to, and the laws of logic would argue are universal and so on, and are unchanging, it, sort of immutable, sort of like God is. So they would coexist in God's eternal mind, you could say. And um, going to a metaphysical principle, you, you get back into the, you know, nothing can come Something cannot come from nothing, so first cause arguments would argue that God is the necessary preconditions, you could say, for uh, anything to exist. Why is there something rather than nothing? Or to avoid an infinite regress, since we know we can't have an infinite regress. And God would be this metaphysical principle needed for that, you know, a transcendent being, maximally great transcendent being to the universe, to cause the universe and whatnot. Then uh, in getting into morality and ethics, God would be... Again, the necessary preconditions, some people would argue, or the foundation for objective moral values and duties. And then, log got into logic, metaphysics. Oh, and ontology, the ontological argument, getting into God's being of uh, self-aseity, which would be God's self-existence, his eternality, his um, spacelessness, you could say. Um, I do view God as temporal, so we may disagree with that. So I wouldn't say God is outside of time. I'll say he's outside of time before he creates time, you could say. Then you have the uh, three omnis and then many other things that go into God's nature. And the ontological argument, I think, can actually be pretty strong when people understand what it is, but it's not something you start out with. So those would be four examples of, of philosophical concepts with God. Yeah, thanks for, for explaining those. And going above and beyond with several examples of these uh, arguments or concepts of philosophy that relate to God. 
And uh, it sounds like there's a one kind of common theme, especially in two of uh, the arguments or the the descriptions of arguments that you presented. And that is um, using philosophy, we can kind of look at something in the world, some aspect of reality, whether it's morality or just creations, what we what we see in nature, and kind of uh, trace it back in and ask, is there a certain type of of thing, object or, or person that, that basically would need to be the source of these things? So and the moral arguments or something like uh, creation out of nothing, uh, like you you uh, yeah, listed. Creation ex nihilo. Yeah, creation ex nihilo um, kind of does that, says, OK, this is what we know, This we, that there is creation, that there is morality. Uh, is there something that needs to be your presence in order to explain the existence of those things? Uh, so what do you say that's a, a good way to generalize maybe some of some of the arguments for God's existence and what uh, philosophy is doing when it comes to us pointing to that existence of God? Yeah, um, basically some of the arguments I gave there, I won't use a transcendental argument myself because I think the laws of logic ground themselves in epistemology. You can sort of make an ontological distinction between the two, and you could say, why do we have these things such as laws of logic? So you could appoint, like as Frank Turk would say, you can point from cause to effect, what best explains that. So it won't be a proof, I would say, probably more of an evidential case for the laws of logic. But going off that, um, basically how you describe that, God would be necessary for many of these things that we described earlier. So uh, I think that would be a good general way of describing it. Right. And there would be certain, say, qualities of what would we what we would describe as as God having or God being certain qualities that that would be necessary for the, the cause of those things uh, you know, to have or to be present. So yeah. and that would differentiate, say, the, the Christian God or you know the God of maybe other religions, kind of a creation type of God, um, rather than some sort of maybe naturalistic explanation of those things so when we make these philosophical arguments for god's existence uh as plenty of apologists have explained it doesn't um necessarily by itself those arguments don't point us to the god described by christianity but it points us to a god that has the features of a god like the one that is explained or described by christianity um so well Real quick, um, yeah. perhaps the ontological argument may be able to refute some views of Allah if you don't say God is all loving. But loving is a virtue in many of the eyes of philosophers, like I believe in Aristotle's ethics, which I have that book right next to me when we get into the other question you have there. But, um, you know, if, if you don't have God as a triune being who is a, in a loving relationship with himself, but yet in three different persons, that can get confusing, but there are ways for logically describing the trinity, maybe not evidentially. How can we wrap our brains around something like that or something being outside of space and time before creation? Um, so you, you can maybe make an argument that God would have to be all loving because if he has to create the universe to be loving or um, out, of not necess out of necessity, you could say, then perhaps God doesn't have maximally freedom. And I would, I would think God being the maximally great possible being, I, I do think that entails maximally possible great freedom and all lovingness. So you could probably make that argument against Islam philosophically, perhaps. 
Right. So maybe certain arguments such as the ontological really do point us in that specific direction of uh, of the Christian God. Um, and then others maybe are more of a, a, a general type of thing where it's like, yeah, the Christian God could fit our description of what is nece necessary uh, you know, for the cause of these things that we experience in our lives. Um, but, you know, other things could kind of potentially fit that that description as well, such as uh, the God of, of Islam. Um, yeah, so like, it really depends on the arguments uh, that we're talking about. Yeah, the Kalam cosmological argument was developed by Al-Khazali, which who was a Muslim. So obviously that argument could support Islam. And then at that point, you would have to take the cumulative case approach and describe or argue about the reliability of the New Testament. Um, if the ontological argument isn't successful, as I describe it, you could say. But yeah, and, and the fine-tuning argument. I would say perhaps not the moral argument when you get into the nature of Allah as well. Um, because obviously when you read certain things, and at least in the Hadiths and Surah 9, it appears that Allah may not be all-merciful and all-loving, which mm -hmm. would not seem to be necessary preconditions for morality and so on. But that, that's a whole other debate, though. But generally speaking, first cause arguments can work for um, Islam. Now, Judaism would be more interesting to discuss you know, with these arguments and compare them. I would say perhaps you could apply the Trinity to the ontological argument. But um, yeah, I, I, I would agree that many arguments can support Islam or Judaism. But they refute things like pantheism or monism or um, many other Eastern religious uh, beliefs because um, I was listening to a podcast on reasons to believe where they're discussing do the laws of logic does quantum mechanics violate the laws of logic they were discussing in there how Hindus and uh, these Eastern religions have their own logic because when you look into their religions they are self-contradictory and they have to sort of get rid of the laws of logic in order to maintain a, a rational belief in these religions I would say if you do that then you have no intelligibility there but that's one other discussion you could say. Sure. So I guess overall, we're not saying that that you can't argue for uh, the Christian God specifically, but we're saying certain arguments don't could, have, could lead you in that direction. You could say. Yeah, exactly. Some arguments don't have the capacity to to do, to do that specifically, but we need to look at at that cumulative case, like you're saying, especially uh, the Bible and the New Testament and what it says about Jesus and his claim to divinity. So that's more of the, I guess, it, that goes uh, along the lines of general re revelation, uh, the nature of God generally, and then specifically the revelation of God through Jesus Christ and and the Christian God. So cool. So let's uh, move on kind of from those, those arguments themselves to this uh, consideration of philosophy and how it applies to us as Christians. Because I, I think this is something that people can kind of get hung up on of how does this all apply to me? Um, so first, I want to kind of address those fears that people might have about digging into the, these philosophical topics in, in conversations. Um, some people might think that uh, people might go down the track of an education in philosophy, and maybe they see a tendency for those people to start turning away from God and going a completely different direction. So I'm wondering, um, what would you say to Christians who have that kind of fear about philosophy potentially turning people away from God rather than towards him? Well, I would say they, in some sense, they're right, because Paul warns us in uh, Colossians 2.8 to be weary of 
uh, deceitful philosophies, not philosophy in general, but philosophies such as the pagan philosophies back then that Paul in that uh, contextual historical standpoint was dealing with. And especially when you look at the Acts 17 and Paul, uh, yeah, sermon, I believe he's in Athens on that and talking to the polytheists and so on. But um, yeah, you, you can fear a fearful philosophy that is not sound and can deceive someone who is not trained or relevant verse in philosophy and knowing how to deal with competing worldviews. But um, I would say Christians should not have fear of philosophy because I do think um, it is on our side, or it's not against us, you could say at least. But when you look at the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, heart, and strength, your mind is the thing that controls your heart and strength and so on, if, if you believe it contains your will and emotions and uh, ultimately can controls your body in some sense. Um, but if, if we don't love our God with all our mind, then I, I think you have no place for philosophy, but I think philosophy entails that. If you don't want to know why you believe in God and what he, why he exists and so on, the ontology of God, if you discuss the nature of God, you're, you're already discussing philosophy, and I, I would dare say that the ignorance of philosophy in the church has led to many of these misconceptions of it well i i'll just say to love the lord your god with all your mind entails philosophy and christians should not fear philosophy because i think we can make philosophical arguments for the existence of god that are easily compatible with the bible and not contradicting it and if not in support of the bible when you look at something like genesis 1 1 right and also in line with the new testament and how the early yeah. uh, followers of jesus interacted with others uh incorporating the um kind of tying in the philosophy of the culture but uh, talking about Christian truth, you know, through that that philosophy, whatever it was, whether it was Greek philosophy at the time, like addressing the, the things in that culture, like, hey, you have this thing going in your culture, like that's that's not quite right. Um, here's what the, what the real truth is. Here is the resurrected Christ. And that really impacted people lots at that time, incor incorporating that kind of philosophical style um, into evangelism. Uh, but but you did say in your uh, description there that, uh, I, I mean, a Christian might say that, oh, I focus on theology, you know, philosophy isn't really my thing. I just do all like theology. Well, really, the two are tied in together. They're not mutually exclusive. Uh, you need to incorporate aspects of philosophy, you know, logic when considering theological truths and what God has revealed to us. Um, so that's something to, to, to keep in mind when it comes to this, this area of philosophy. Um, so this next question kind of relates to that of fears that Christians might have regarding philosophy or things they might say about it. Because um, maybe a Christian says, oh, we should just read the Bible and focus on scripture. And all these these philosophical arguments for God's existence, ex nihilo, it's, it's not really like we don't have to focus on that. Like, yeah. let's just read scripture and do that. Like, well, how would you respond to, to that kind of idea? Yeah, I would say... Um... Something's going on with my mouse. Okay. I would say, um, how do you know that? I would ask an epistemological question, and what entails the Bible to say that? Um, and if you have any part in exegesis, obviously you have to look at competing worldviews back in Paul's time to understand when he's talking to uh, to the church of um, forget who Ephesus, I think. Well, that would be the Ephesians, but I'm trying to think of the church he sends the first and second Timothy to. But many of these um, things in Scripture show that 
Paul is dealing with philosophy, so Paul contradicts himself. But I, I'll just ask, how do you know what anything in the Bible means? And you need uh, some form of logic or semantics to understand what it means. And you're using philosophy in and of itself with that. And I would not going on a slippery slope here, but if you apply it there, that would, that would seem like special pleading in the intellectual area of, you know, how do you know God exists? How do you know the Bible is reliable? That entails lots of philosophy. And if you do systematic theology, that's uh, logical, topical theology, which by definition would imply philosophy. But like you said, I would say any theology or any scriptural reading uh, needs philosophy and they're intertwined. So I would say while they assert this, there is no escape from the inevitable and obvious that they are using philosophy to try and say we shouldn't use philosophy. It's like a self-defeating statement, basically. Right. That's what I was thinking, too, of someone saying that uh, the statement that we should only focus on the Bible or just read the Bible, and that should be our our pure, our only source of knowledge. That is a, a philosophical statement in itself, which really just um, speaks to the idea that it's something we can't avoid, uh, this philosophical thinking and, and that applying to uh, our investigation into theology and into a lot of areas in our lives. I would also ask him what version, uh, what English version do you use? And perhaps you may get a King JV only person saying this, but um, generally speaking, you know, the, the church will say this. And I, I think it needs to just be point out that Paul didn't think this. So Peter didn't think this. Jesus definitely did not think this. Jesus is the greatest philosopher, in my opinion. I don't know if that's an opinion, but, you know, it's probably a fact. But um, Paul, Paul, again, is definitely a philosopher. The, the first Three, three or four centuries of Christianity involves many philosophers like Justin Martyr, um, and all the church fathers were to some degree philosophers. And then you have Saint Augustine around the fourth, fifth century, who who entails much philosophy. So I would say the earliest Christians and Christ's disciples were in, engaging with philosophy. So that entails uh, discipline, and again, loving God with all your mind, as well. So I, I would say. As a Christian, it's your duty. You ought to learn philosophy and its tenets to be able to know what you believe and why you believe it with a better confidence and better faith in God as well. So, sure, yeah. So let's um, step away a little bit from the the aspect of Christians and how philosophy applies to to our lives as Christians, and step a little bit more towards the the skeptical side and maybe some of the skeptical viewpoints out there uh, regarding philosophy. So, for example, uh, there's the idea of, of scientism out there that we're both familiar, familiar with, that basically you can only have knowledge through scientific in inquiry and investigation. So uh, maybe people who are kind of in more of that camp might kind of look down on philosophy and, and say that, well, it's not really, I mean, yeah, I guess we, we need it to some extent, but it's not as reliable as something like science because it doesn't involve these uh, observable, repeatable, repeatable te tests that you can do over time and, and kind of compare with other people <clears throat> to know what's true. So um, what would you say to, to people who kind of downplay philosophy in that sense, saying like, yeah, it's out there, but it's not nearly as reliable as, as something like science? Yeah, I would say, well, you're using epistemology and turn that into methodology. And when you're using philosophy, again, just like how the Christian says, oh, we should just stick with the Bible, not philosophy. You're using this. You're you're using the thing you're trying to refute. 
sort of like the laws of logic. Again, if you try and show them to be false, you're presupposing that something can be true and its negation is false. Um, so, and I would also say, and this is a common objection by most apologists, is can you scientifically prove your own claim? Now, you could turn this into epistemology and use philosophy and sort of avoid that, perhaps, but then I would get into, um, you know, you presuppose an a priori thing, and what a priori would mean is reasoning beforehand. The laws of logic aren't learned from observation. They're presupposed in observation, so you use them. You know these beforehand. Um, I would say they're self-evident and grounded in themselves in any epistemology, but they're they're grounded beforehand, so they're not a posteriori, meaning after the fact or, you know, after you do observations. So I'll say you at least have to grant, yeah, sure, the laws of logic um, are universal and it can't be avoided, and they're not observable. Well, you, you can test them, but no matter what, your, your negation of them always prove them. So you, something like the laws of logic, you cannot disprove with observation, and you need them for observation. And um, I would also ask the skeptic, how do you prove mathematics with observation? They're another a priori methodology and uh, thing, things in them of themselves. And whether you say they're descriptive or prescriptive of the universe, that's another debate among some philosophers. But uh, I, I would, again, say that if you're going to stick with the scientific method alone, Craig, you know, Craig gives his five list um, aesthetic and moral truths. They, they could be consistent and say, well, that's just subjective in the eye of the beholder. But then metaphysical truths, like how do you know there are minds other than your own? Or how do you know you exist? Uh, you can't observably prove your own existence because that would become circular. You can say um, it's something I presuppose or it's an axiom, which is fine. But again, if, if you want to have certainty that you exist, you have to go with Descartes' uh, foundationalism. I think, therefore, I am. I doubt, therefore, I am. And to do that, it wouldn't be with science, it would be with uh, the axioms of, of epistemology and logic itself. So I would say there are many things you can't scientifically prove. History is based on inductive reasoning. You can say it's, if you want to apply inductive reasoning, not repeatability. And obviously you can't repeat history, so if repeatability is part of your epistemology and uh, methodology, then you can't do history. History is also based on inductive reasoning, but that that's not the scientific method by itself because you can't repeat like i said earlier you can test what happened in the past so some evolutionists even though I, I i'm not particularly against the theory of biological evolution but rather neo-darwinian evolution or evolution that tries to cancel out god which would be a philosophy of itself not science because you have philosophy you have you have your own biases before you do science and those will as frank turk would say um Science doesn't say anything. Scientists say things however, however he says that. Basically, your philosophies will determine, I won't say determine, but if, if you let them influence your conclusions, then uh, you're using logic, which is very philosophical, and you would have to follow the law of proper inference, would be, which would be you always uh, properly infer the best explanation or best conclusion of something. So again, I, I, I think this view of scientism, J. J.P. Moreland uh, just recently, I think it's his most recent book, he wrote a book on scientism. He he argues sort of the same points, and I'll just say it just becomes self-refuting when you get into many specifics of it. Yeah, so it just seems like no matter uh, which, which, yeah, go ahead. 
I, I did say a lot in there, so if there's anything you want me to define, then go right ahead and ask me that. No, that that's okay. I think we, we can just keep moving along. Like basically uh, what what I saw or observe of what was happening there is you were looking at different areas, whether it it's science or that view of scientism or a skeptic's view of, of history in light of a, a, a major kind of emphasis in science. Um, like no matter which way we, we look at that, a philosophy is kind of the underlying factor uh, or thing that's present you know, underneath all of those things. So it's really something that we can't escape. And you can say that, uh, you, or you can downplay philosophy saying that it's not as significant as these, as these other things, but that in itself is a philosophical statement. <laughs> so again, no matter how we kind of uh, address or look at the different sides of the issue, that's what we're faced with, this presence of uh, philosophical thinking uh, being the foundation of how we see these different things in the world, whether it's science or history or theology. Yeah, I, I would agree. And one more thing real quick, because this is helpful to describe the difference between deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning. Inductive reasoning would be things that um, if you if you form a syllogism, you have conclusions and then or premises and then your conclusion would be most likely the case in, in deductive reasoning dealing with validity being the conclusion cannot be false if the premises are true it follows deductively logically it can't be false if the conclusion or premises are true basically and um, i would say deductive reasoning employs more certainty while inductive reasoning it can be some forms of deductive reasoning can be false but more certain than not in certain inductive reasoning so if the science if the one who believes in scientism wants to change it well we should only believe in inductive reasoning and you know you can throw in history in there as a science then then i'll say okay well let's go through the laws of logic again and axioms and how you know their minds of getting into metaphysical truths basically these people would have to throw out any form of metaphysics and when you do that your um, empirical data and how you test things i think go out the window but again, those two forms of reasoning, I think, are important to describe there in this conversation. Right. And when it comes to that um, deductive argument style, uh, it really does help us understand uh, how we can know something with a, a certain degree, degree of confidence. Because like you said, if you, if you have those premises leading to a conclusion, and it, it all seems to be solid, seems to, to come together and flow well uh, from the start to the finish, and also the different aspects of the arguments seem to all be true, then we can be pretty confident about the, the truth of that argument. Yeah. Uh, so I, I agree with you on, on the power of those, those types of arguments. And again, I think it's a helpful um, uh, differentiation to make between the inductive and deductive, especially for Christians to explore those areas and um, see you know, what they are and uh, how it applies to this area of, of philosophy. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so uh, we have probably a few minutes left, but uh, so let's say, you know, a Christian's listening to the listening to this and saying, like, you know, obviously I've been using philosophy in my life based on based on this conversation, but wants to, to dig in to more of the principles involved in philosophy and uh, wants to understand more about how arguments work or or logical uh, you know, fallacies and things like that. 
Um, what are the key ways to you in which Christians can start to dig more into this topic of philosophy? Yeah, well, um, let me pull up. I don't have the textbook anymore. I, I have a PDF of it, but um, for a logic textbook here, is you, you can probably get it free with some PDFs. Um, let me try and get it here. Sure. I can screen share it. But um, while I'm doing that, a few books that I would suggest, um, Constellation of Philosophy, Boethius, um, about the 5th century, writing in about the 5th, 6th century. He's a Roman Christian philosopher, and without him, we would not have a lot of Aristotle's texts and his texts on logic. So as a Christian philosopher, I think we should read this. It goes into um, the problem of evil a little bit, and uh, virtue, what is the good. Which, and he some argues, like many philosophers do, that's happiness, but he ultimately argues that to have true happiness, you have to have a relationship sort of with God, who is, by definition, the greatest conceivable being, and so on. That definition wasn't around until Amsel, but you see hints of that. St. Augustine, City of God, he deals, this is a big book, obviously, but he deals with a lot of philosophical dilemmas in Christianity. Uh, the Republic of Plato sort of talks about politics and philosophy, and uh, about morality as well. And a book on good morality would be Aristotle's Ethics, Aristotle's Ethics, and uh, a lot of stuff in there about ethics. So those would be some, uh, I won't say starting books, but if you want, I would also go to Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. It's another website you can go to because they have great articles that are unbiased. So I'll say that's a good source for philosophy. Now let me get Hurley up here. Yeah, Hurley Logic. Uh, here is a concise introduction to logic. The 13th edition, I think it's going through. Okay, so here is on Amazon. I'll just screen share it real quick. Yeah, if you can do that, that'd be great. So it's this one here, I believe, is the um, newest one. So let's see, you can buy it new with Amazon Prime. I would obviously suggest hardcover, but if you can't afford that, then you can get a free PDF if you email me at jmdapologetics101. But uh, yeah, that, that's a great book for starting with logic. The first chapters, the first chapters, you know, describing what an argument is, what logic is, deductive and inductive reasoning, and other things that go into that. So those would be some good sources I would go into for uh, starting with philosophy. Yeah, that's very helpful. And can you can you uh, say that title again for our audio listeners in, in the author? Um, so Dr. Hurley, I don't know his first name, but it's basically called a, in a condensed introduction to logic, basically. Um, and the 13th edition is the one I, I shared, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so uh, we were almost done with our time here, but... Uh, could you describe how people can uh, support you in, in your ministry or kind of, uh, you know, come on to or check out what you're doing in that area of, of apologetics and, and philosophy, too? Yeah, if you want to support me on YouTube, you can just hit that subscribe notification button. And if you want to, like, support me financially, I guess you can go to my Patreon project. Um, so, yeah, that or, you know, just spread the news through Christian truth through apologetics where, you know, share people to my website and or. YouTube channel or many of my other social media pages. I have a Tumblr, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. 
and um yeah th those are i'm pretty sure the only social media platforms i have but yeah you can oh i also have a discord so i take that back yeah you can just support me on those things if you want to but uh, mainly just spread christian truth through apologetics and get apologetics in the church would be the best way to support christianity nowadays i would say yeah, and that could be a whole nother topic for sure on how we we could go about that process. And, you know, maybe we can come back on sometime to, to discuss that, that topic. Um, yeah, so we'll have links to some of those things that GMD mentioned on social media, on, on our YouTube uh, um, video description, and also the podcast description on, on iTunes. So uh, thank you, GMD, for joining me today. Really enjoyed talking about this, this important topic, obviously important because it covers... Uh, you know, it's so present in our lives and our, our daily thinking. Um, so I think it's really great to emphasize the need for Christians to, to explore this area more and how I can really um, strengthen our faith, kind of like you were describing in your story um, in, in our introduction. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, and yeah, we I definitely hope to continue connecting and possibly doing doing more of these. Yeah, definitely. Well, have a good day. And um, that's all for us here at Twin Cities Apologetics uh, Podcast. So uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, we hope to see you next time.